0: Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Rad Podcast. I am producer Brandon from the Rob Anybody and Don show, and we are getting close to our 100th episode. Can't believe it. Time has flown by. I can't wait to unveil uh, to, to, to some some fun things that I have planned for you, um, including, but not limited to, broadcast apparel. Uh-huh. About some shirts. How about some stuff? How about some swag? Some broadcast swag might be coming your way. Um, details. Definitely to follow, but uh, I did get the green light that I'm going to be working with Charlie from Black Dog Graphics, uh, who powers the Maggot Mall at MaggotMall.com, and uh, we're going to be putting together some really cool stuff. I've already seen a couple prototypes of of some logos that they put together for the podcast, including a, a caricature of uh, uh, that they did of myself. You know, like those caricatures that you see at uh, on the on the streets of like you know downtown areas, or you know when you go to the the Six Flags or something, they're, they're drawing those caricatures. They made this really cool one, and I don't want to give too much away, but uh, we also might be teaming up with another one of our podcast partners uh, to do a little bit more extra in honor of the 100th episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, And I'm I'm also taking suggestions. If you you have somebody that you want to hear as a guest on the Rad Podcast for the 100th episode, shoot me the ideas. R-A-D at radradio.com or join the Rad Podcast. Broadcast group on facebook i almost forgot what it was called the red podcast group uh can be found just by searching red podcast on the facebook search bar if you haven't done that already go for it uh it's a closed group because we like to keep things kosher keep things nice keep things civil don't like to do a lot of political talk don't like to do a lot of uh bashing of each other it's more of an, a, a safe space if you will Uh, So that we can all have a good time and and be open. But a lot of what I noticed is a lot of people just want to laugh and and detach from the seriousness from the day to day life that you might get from social media. So there's a lot of memes, a lot of funny videos, um, including one of the ones we haven't talked about on the regular show that has just had me rolling ever since I watched it and a little bit turned on too. is uh, one of these gender reveal videos and uh, you, you probably already know what I'm going with this, but there's this one video of uh, of a woman who isn't wearing any pants, and she's kind of sitting on her, her her chest or on like laying on her belly, right? And she's got her legs up and her butt's kind of sticking up in the air, and it, it looks like kind of like a sexy video that that's about to start. And all of a sudden, you kind of see her push, and she goes, mm, and then a big puff of blue smoke or powder or something pops out of her ass (laughs) that's the gender reveal for i don't know if it was for her kid i don't know what like the whole backstory behind it but it is circulating all over the internet and making me laugh every single time i see it Uh, and that's just one of the one of the many videos that you'll see on the brad podcast group um but uh yeah I, i just if you don't laugh at farts you're dead inside i mean just it's just the sound of farts alone will will just have me side split laughter but, uh, the visual of the smoke and the powder <laughs> coming out of this uh this this woman's ass and you know the the reaction of the friends jumping up and down and laughing and having a good time because this blue smoke blew out of her ass. it was just it was just classic. Uh, so uh th- yeah, join up on the red podcasts group. I, th- I think I remember where, goes, where I was going with this um, and we'll, we'll take your suggestions there as well, you know, post some post some some stuff if you wanna hear requests or if you uh, if you also have some ideas for uh, some swag maybe i don't know i have some some ideas for slide uh taglines you know the obvious is uh you know namaste bitches because that's what i say at the end of every episode uh or prod squad or uh prod head you know the nicknames for for you prod cast listeners uh that that those might be some options as well but we're just exploring this this has literally happened uh th- this all kind of came to fruition in the last six to eight hours, uh, since I started recording this. So that's the way we like to do things around here. Last minute, you know, scramble to make it happen. That's just because that's how we roll. All right. Uh, I've got a lot of prod mail here today. Um, I do have a big segment planned for us to go over some near death experiences. Um, and I I have, I have some excerpts from a book that uh, yes, a book. I, I read books on occasion, uh, but I pulled some excerpts from this book called uh, Beyond the Light by an author named Gina Prince Bythewood by the wood Prince by the wood. I don't know, but look at the, 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 the book Beyond the Lights and you try to to <laughs> pronounce her last name. I don't know, but she's got one of those hyphenated names, Gina Prince Bythewood. Um, and she's got some examples of case studies of the, of near death experiences. And I've, I've, picked my favorite ones out of the book and I'm going to get to those a little bit later on. But um, one thing that I really do enjoy about uh, the podcast is that it actually resonates with a lot of you and you tend to take a lot of my suggestions or a lot of the the people that I interview, um, you will reach out to them and and use their services. For example, you know, Sierra Padva is my energy worker and some of you have gone to see her for some uh, Reiki work or, uh, you've seen her for some hypnotherapy, and thank you very much for for patronizing these uh, these wonderful individuals that that I've highlighted on the broadcast, um, including you know of course Sack Spirit. They're booked all the way out into February of twenty twenty one, mostly because of the, their exposure from the broadcast and the the Rad Radio Show, of course, when they do their on air appearances there. But uh, th- they're really striking a chord with everybody, and I really appreciate. Everybody, you know, trying them out and actually experiencing them for yourselves. And uh, one of the more recent people that I have interviewed was Terry, uh, who works at the Loomis Healing Arts and Wellness Center. And she did a singing bowl session with us, which is an auditory meditation uh, technique where you, you just lay there and she plays these Tibetan singing bowls. Some are brass, some are glass and uh, it was a very enlightening experience, very relaxing experience. Uh, it, it, it caused some people to fall asleep. In fact, it's been used by some prod heads to actually uh, soothe themselves to sleep. And it's almost like their routine to uh, listen to before bed. Uh, and that was kind of the, the, the reason why I wanted to get it on on a recording and, and put it into wet episode so that you can use it and experience it. And I, I'm certainly not exploiting Terry by doing this. Um, because the, the recording is, does not new no justice? It, it might help. It might get you into that mindset, but when you're actually in the room with Terry at the Loomis Healing uh, Arts and Wellness Center, you feel the vibrations and you, you, you're really in it. And, uh, it's one of those things that you just have to experience to really understand fully. But, you know, like any other type of med- guided meditations that you can get on YouTube or, you know, online anywhere, um, they're good, but It's what you get out of the experience in person that uh, really resonates. And Sterling is one of those who actually went to see Terry and had a Tibetan crystal singing bowl session um, just recently. I got the letter here to prove it. Sterling says, I wanted to write about my fiance and my experience with Terry's Tibetan and crystal singing bowls. Saturday afternoon, we ventured out to Loomis Healing Arts and Wellness Center for our appointment. Just trying to keep an open mind. Neither of us we sure what to really expect. Going in, she was right there to greet us with a very warm welcome. My fiancé was a bit nervous, as she has some anxiety issues, especially in new situations. I was doing my best to contain my excitement, really. We sat down with Terry and talked for some time about ourselves. More about the different bowls and Terry's cornucopia of skills with healing arts which was all incredibly interesting to learn about how she came to be doing this. And we did discuss some of that uh, in our podcast with her just a couple episodes ago. The session came with some warnings about possibly uh, the possibility of seeing colors or other auditory phenomena. But I was blown away by it all. I must be very susceptible to all of this because from start to finish, I was flooded with images of colors and waves of light while listening to her balls sing. I also experienced a variety of muscular sensations from parts of my body where muscles and tissue was so tense that I didn't know how bad they were until they all began relaxing and being given strange sensations. The idea of benefits from vibrations to the body made sense in theory, to me at least, but I was completely blown away by the experience. At the end of the session, when we began to explain our experiences— Everything I was experiencing made my fiancé feel a lot better hearing out loud because she thought everything she was feeling was just in her head. Many of these effects are still lingering into today, with our energy levels up and body-centered, still feeling vibrating sensations occasionally. Overall, the wealth of knowledge Terry had made the experience so much more enjoyable for both of us. We are just beginning to dip our toes into the world of metaphysical spirituality Feeling like we are a part of this shift that seems to be happening within society—that's true. I do feel that too. We are glad that the Brandons have been such a guiding light in connecting us maggots with the good people in this community. We hope that more people will go and experience Terry's bowls in the future. We know we will be back for sure, Sterling and Brandy. And that you know that I think that that speaks volumes to to how you can go into it being skeptical and not really knowing what to expect. And with uh, Sterling being more open and susceptible to all of the different things that you might experience out of these meditations, um, and then affirming what his even more skeptical wife was feeling, uh, wife or girlfriend, I'm sorry, I I don't know if I, uh, fiance, that's right. Um, Yeah, so to to have Sterling uh, validate what Brandy was feeling is further proof that it might be weird. It might be unorthodox at first, but when you kind of, when you accept it and you you allow yourself to be susceptible to these things, you'll find that your body adjusts and, or you'll, you'll pay attention more to parts of your body internally and externally where you might not have paid attention to them before You're, you're, you're taking pause. You're actually getting into that moment So that you can uh, relax and, and the ultimate relaxation will bring great healing properties. Um, In fact, I made a suggestion of of using guided meditations on YouTube, like positive affirmations. You you can look for, for certain meditations that, that uh, will help you sleep or will give you better confidence, you know, like it's all positive thinking and it's all positive affirmations, but. When you when you extrapolate the process that you you actually are putting putting yourself in, it's it might sound cheesy and weird because it's like, OK, now you are floating in space and nothing is bothering you and you are one with the universe. It might sound weird, but when you're doing it, when you're in it and you actually take the time to center yourself and, and quiet everything, turn off your devices, go out into nature You'd be surprised at what kind of positive feelings you, you, you'll you come up with. Now, I mentioned Sax Spirit uh, has been on, obviously, they've been on a few times on the podcast, and they've done wonderful work with, with a lot of maggots, and we've done a lot of work with them in investigations here at the studio, at my house, um, and other places, and they tend to bring a lot of peace to people who are grieving. And I wanted to read this email from Kirk, because uh, I, I'm not to be honest, I don't stay on top of all the news and the happenings in Reno, at least the local news. To be quite honest, I don't, I don't stay on top of a lot of the local news in the Sacramento area either. Um, but I'm, 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 I feel bad that I didn't get, uh, I haven't seen this story. So I had to look it up after Kirk emailed because I was just compelled to share the story. Um, and he has, he has some uh, he's asking for some advice here. So let me get to the letter first and we'll go we'll go into the story. Kirk says, hello, Brando. I'm writing to you for some help. I've never been a spiritual person, but now I'm trying anything I can to I can to hear from my son. His name is Kenyon Wilson, and my son was murdered on October 9th of, of 2019. I am lost without him and would like to see if the people you talk about on the radio can help me in any way. That'd be sack spirit. I just want to know that my son is okay. He was a 20-year-old boy with a huge heart. 20 years old. I find most days very difficult to function, but trying my hardest to. My son's story has been all over the news in Reno. Is there any way you can put me in touch with these? Uh, with Sack Spirit. Thank you so much. I listen to the show every day. Thank you guys for everything. Lost without my son, Kirk Wilson. And so i I wanted to find out about this story. and since this this story has been made public, um, you know there's no investigation that i'm I'm tampering with or anything because this is all public information. In fact, this story was uh, last updated on Halloween. It says uh, the Washoe County Sheriff's Office says they found the remains of missing twenty year old Kenyon Wilson last week. They say detectives are treating this case as a homicide investigation and are asking the public for any information that may help to identify and locate a suspect or suspects. Uh, Washoe County Sheriff's Office says the investigation began on Sunday, October 20th, when Kenyon Wilson's vehicle was located near the Moon Rocks Recreation Area of Winnemucca Ranch Road, north of Spanish Springs. The vehicle had been heavily damaged by fire. They say after several days of searching by deputies, search and rescue volunteers, and the Raven helicopter... The sheriff's office received information on Friday, October 25th, that human remains had been discovered in a remote area in the vicinity of Moon Rocks. Deputies and detectives responded. WCSO says on Sunday, October 27th, the Roshville County Regional Medical Examiner's Office confirmed the descendant as Kenyon Wilson. They say the exact cause of death is still under investigation and next of kin have been notified. Anyone with information is urged to contact WCSO at 775-328-3320 or secret witness at 775-322-4900. You will remain anonymous. Secret witness is offering a $2,500 reward for information leading to the arrest and prosecution of a suspect or suspects in this investigation. Kirk, I am so sorry for your loss. And I'm sure it's even more devastating because we're, we still don't know the cause. Um, now, I just looked up the story. And if there is more information that has been that has developed, I'm sorry, I don't have that in front of me. Um, but Kirk, I want you to know that um, that this, during this tough time uh, that you are loved by your son and your son still feels your love. Whether or not you believe in in where our soul goes and, and what happens next in the afterlife, um Sack Spirit is definitely somebody who can help you in this time of grief. While I've heard Melissa from Sack Spirit say that it's probably not the best time to try to commune with past loved ones so close to when it happened. Um, based on emotions and, and, and what you might be going through, there may be some things that Melissa from SacSpirit Spirit can do to help you put your mind at ease and give you some peace. Um, I have passed this message along to Melissa and the team at sacspirit.com. And I haven't heard back yet um, because they do work normal jobs and, and they have a really busy schedule but because I pass this along directly to them, I'm hoping that we can probably expedite some process so that they can get in touch with you, call you, um, and give you some, some, uh, some words of encouragement or even some, some peace of mind, uh, that your son is, is there and he knows how much you love you. He, that that he loves you or that you love him. Um, sounds like a great boy and I'm sorry that he was taken from you too soon. Um, so let let me know how things go when Sack Spirit does get in touch with you. I would like to hear how that went um, and peace be with you. Much love to you, Kirk, and to your family. All right, without a better, smoother uh transition here, uh, I do need to move on to the next letter here, um as tough as it might be. but um so a lot of times people will ask me. What kind of stuff I listen to outside of the show or outside of the podcast? Because, quite frankly, my whole life is centered around this show and and uh, this broadcast. So I don't necessarily get to dabble too much into what you know the other media's or other other types of shows. Um, but Austin asks asks this question. I do get this question a lot. Um, he says, "I really enjoy the podcast. I listen to it each week." Thank you. No, thank you. You also turned me on to uh, the podcast Mysterious Universe. It is great. Do you have any other podcasts you can recommend to someone who enjoys these types of interesting discussions? I only get two podcasts a week at this point, and I'm looking for another one. Well, yeah, on top of the Rad Radio Show, Mysterious Universe, and uh, the Rad Podcast, I'm sure that you're aching for some more. Um, Let me—I have some suggestions, but— you know, the, the first one that comes to mind, obviously, is the Joe Rogan experience. It's probably one of the better podcasts out there. Not only is it great because he gets amazing guests on, but he also covers the gamut of stuff from uh, MMA. In fact, he does a full on MMA show, which is almost a spinoff from his regular pro, uh, podcast. But then he gets all the stars that you can you can imagine. And, you know, he's he's. Interviewed Elon Musk and astrophysicists and people that believe in aliens. Tom DeLonge was one of the guests recently, um, and he he does a lot of uh, eclectic stuff, and he's very open minded, and and so he's a lot of fun to follow along, uh, and he's really good at what he does. Uh, so Joe Rogan is absolutely one of those that uh, that I would recommend. But if you're looking for podcasts that that. Stick into that same realm of myst- mystery and, and science fiction and um, not necessarily a lot of ghost stories, but a, a lot of uh, deeper stuff that's more absurd or, or obscure. Um, there's there's other podcasts called uh, Expanded Perspectives, which has good banter and stories. Uh, there's the Graylian Report. It's like Alien, but with a gr in the front. Graylian Report. It's more topical than a mysterious universe and there's less stories. Um, and then there's another one that's called monsters among us. Uh, I just learned about this one. This is listener stories, um, that where they have a, a, a good format where the host only adds his opinion at the end. And just like the, uh, just lets the witnesses speak about the, their monster experiences. And it's all types of stuff. Uh, so it goes, it runs the gamut of various different stories. Um so th- those might be some some suggestions to give you a good start. Uh I I've, I've enjoyed the Russell brand uh that uh the, the British comedian you know he was in forgetting Sarah Marshall and Arthur and he did some stand up for a bit but he's turned into one of these metaphysical practitioners as well. He he really believes in a lot of what we talk about in the mumbo jumbo segments here on the podcast. Um and he has a lot of really good uh, stuff to say as well. Um, so I, I believe his, if you just look up Russell brand podcast, I think that's just what it's called. I'm not sure exactly. Um, and then there's another one that's pretty good. Mike Rowe, he does a good podcast as well. Um, if you're just looking for some inspirational stories and I think sometimes his are really short, they're only like 15 minutes. And he just tells a short story. Um, but because, you know, he's Mike Rowe and he's got an amazing voice, you can't really lose. It's it's pretty good stuff. Um, so Austin, I hope that helps you in your podcast adventures. Uh, did you hear about this story about the two infants that were buried wearing helmets made from other kids' skulls? I just came across this story. Yes, I know. Lucky story uh, from Live Science. And I just thought I had to share this because this is really interesting stuff. Now, I I just got to know the etymology behind all of this. I don't know what it is, but uh, two infants were buried from uh, 21, some 2100 years ago, wearing helmets made from the skulls of other children. Archaeologists have discovered the remains of two infants were found with nine other burials at a site called Salango on the coast of central Ecuador. The archaeologists who excavated the burials between 2014 and 2016 recently published the details of their findings in the journal Latin American Antiquity. The team says that this is the only known case in which children's skulls were used as helmets for infants being buried. The scientists don't know what killed the infants and children, uh, but the helmets were placed tightly over the infants' heads, the archaeologists found. It's like that the older children's skulls still had flesh on them when they were turned into helmets because without flesh, the helmets likely would not have held together. Wow. The one infant's face looked through and out of the car- cranial vault, the space in the skull that holds the brain. Uh, interestingly, a hand phalanx, 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 P-H-A-L-A-N-X. That's a new one. A type of bone was found wedged between the infant's head and the helmet. They don't know whom the hand phalanx, 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 belonged to, said, uh, said Sarah Junst, the lead author of the paper and anthropology professor at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Sarah noted that other tests, such as those using DNA and strontium isotopes, variations of an element with different numbers of neutrons, nerd talk for you, that may help to identify the owners of the bones. Uh, The archaeologists are not certain why helmets made from children's skulls were placed on the infants' heads. It may represent an attempt to ensure the protection of these pre-social and wild souls, the archaeologist wrote. Near the infants, the archaeological team also discovered ancestor figurines, which depicts ancestors made of stone. This finding supports this protection idea, as their presence indicates a concerning a concern with protecting and further empowering the heads previous work suggests that a volcanic eruption covered the area in ash not long before the infants were buried this eruption may have affected food production and the newly discovered bones suggest the infants and children support from malnutrition uh, suffered from malnutrition uh, and it is possible that the treatment of the two infants was a part of a larger complex ritual response to environmental consequences of the eruption Noting that more evidence is needed to confirm this, no, no duh. But I just thought it was really creepy that they're finding these kids buried with helmets made from other kids' skulls. I mean, what we try to accomplish there with with, uh, with their malnourished? I mean, is it because they're they're kind of feeble, and they thought that adding the the human skulls might add some uh, extra protection? I don't know really creepy hopefully we can find out some more details about that though all right like i said earlier uh we're getting closer to our 100th episode of the rad Podcast. uh thank you so much for supporting it so far and i, I love the feedback i love interacting with all of you um it's been a it's been a blast and i'm looking forward to the next 100 um so i i did solicit for some messages uh with requests that you might have for our 100th episode. And Becky wrote in, she says, I think it would be super interesting to talk about past life regression and also near-death experiences. I personally have experienced both and I find near-death experiences especially to be a taboo topic. Many people think everyone experiences the same thing, but my experiences seem to not really align with the typical bright light in a tunnel account. Anyway, love the show and you and Mrs. B keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Becky. I agree. I, I would love to dive into more near-death experience stories, which I'm going to do here in a second. And as far as past life regression goes, what it, just for those of you that might not be familiar with it, it's a practice of, of almost like a hypnotherapy or uh, a meditation session where you have uh, somebody guide you, somebody like Sieropadva at uh, through the process of going through your previous lives. Now you have to. You don't have to believe it, but you might have want to have an open mind going into one of these sessions because it does center around the idea of reincarnation and where our soul has been in lives prior to this one. Um, I've done a little. I've dabbled just a little bit, and I've found out that I've gone around quite a few times. Uh, I've died uh, pretty uh, horrible deaths in my in my past, and I, I think the one one of the most notable past lives I've had that I was told, and I, I remember most, I was a Franciscan monk in the 1600s, something like that, and I was a dog, uh, I was like a dog wrangler, I was a, a dog, not a dog whisperer, but I, I handled dogs, that was like my job as uh, as a monk, and uh, I, th- I thought that I was fascinating, and I, I haven't had a chance to actually do a full-on past life regression, in fact, when I asked Sierra Padva about this- he told me that it would take about three years or I'm sorry, three years, three hours. It would be like a three hour process. It could take that long in order for you to get through everything uh, that, that there might be to, to offer in one of those experiences. So I might do that, but I, I'm not going to do that um, as like an episode because I, if I did the whole thing, it would be super boring. I think to the listener, I would have to condense it somehow, but I get, then again, I haven't done anything like this before. So, we're gonna shelve the past life regression idea here, uh, but I definitely want to do that. That is something that I want to experience. So, um, and I'd be curious to know what your past life regression experience was like, Becky. If you uh, hear this and and you want to write in and share what your past life regression was like, feel free uh, to share it. I would love to hear it. Um, so I did mention that I combed through a book called Beyond the Light by Gina Prince By the Wood. That's her name. Gina Prince by the wood. I'm not joking. Um, and she, th- there's a few excerpts here that I want to read of uh, people that have out of body experiences, near death experiences, just to uh, shed some light on what, what these people are experiencing and what that might be a uh, super fascinating stuff. If you believe in, in souls and energies and, and, and our spirits being able to float around and then bounce back into our bodies, Uh, This is all for you. So um, an example of the out-of-body component of the near-death experience is the case of Jasmine of Hall, Georgia. She died in the operating table during surgery in late 1979. She says, I must say that this experience was quite unsettling to say the least. I I was floating over my body. I could see and hear everything that was being said and done. I left the room for a short while and then returned to where my body lay. I knew why I died. It was because I couldn't breathe. There was a tube down my throat and the medical staff did not have an oxygen mask on my nose. I had also been given too much anesthetic. In my out-of-body state, I'm using my mind to try and make my right arm and hand move. My arms are extended parallel to my physical body. I want my right hand to move, anything to move. I was trying to pull the tube out of my mouth. I looked down at my face and tears were streaming. One of the nurses blotted the tears from my face, but she didn't notice my breathing had stopped, nor did she see me next to her. At this point, I'm trying really hard to make my physical arm move, but it's like my whole body is made of lead. Jasmine's determination in her out-of-body state to make an arm move finally paid off, and with great clamor and commotion, the tube was pulled out, an oxygen mask attached, and her breathing restored. She had a similar near-death episode when she was hospitalized at 13 and again in 1991 when she faced a death uh, death a third time. The more recent occurrence resulted from a nearly fatal bout with pneumonia. Only this time, she witnessed her own soul as a spirit residing outside of her body. Jasmine goes on to say, I can see my spirit standing before me. My spirit was so beautifully perfect, dressed in a white gown that was loose, free-flowing, and below the knee. From my spirit, there emanated a bright, soft white halo. My spirit was standing six to eight feet from my body. I was so, it was so strange. For I could see my spirit and my spirit could see my pathetic body. I had no, not an ounce of color and I looked all withered and cold and lifeless. My spirit felt warm and so celestial. As my spirit slowly moved away, my spirit told my body goodbye. For my spirit saw the light and wanted to go into it. The light was like a circular opening that was warm and was bright. Jasmine spoke of feeling torn between two worlds, wanting to remain on Earth, while at the same time feeling a strong pull to unite with her spirit self and pass into the light. After another round of hospitalization, she was left confused and disoriented. (laughs) Ready to change her life, yet hesitant to begin. She lamented about the lack of people she could discuss her situation with, although her church bishop did express some degree of understanding. Her lament is commonly shared by most experiences. Gosh, not once, not twice, but three times that Jasmine experienced near-death experiences. How scary. Just to feel so powerless, but also feel bewildered by what's going on around you. Just being able to see yourself in various states, it's just crazy to me. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like this yet. I mean, I've done some pretty interesting drugs in my time, but uh, I don't. I don't think I've ever separated myself from my body. All right, this next one uh, is a case of Robin Michelle Harbardier of Texas City, Texas. It illustrates the overwhelming sense of love experiences often encounter in the light. Her near death experience took place in a hospital. When she was between one and two months of age. Hold on a second. She can remember this from one to two months of age. Let's find out. Born prematurely and with hyaline membrane disease. She was not expected to live. Robin says, My first visual memory was looking forward and seeing a brilliant bright light, almost like looking directly at the sun. The strange thing was that I could see my feet in front of me as I saw her floating upward in a vertical position. I do not remember passing through a tunnel or anything like that, just floating into the beautiful light. A tremendous amount of warmth and love came from the light. There was a standing figure in the light, shaped like a normal human being, but with no distinct facial features. It had a masculine presence. The light I have described seemed like it emanated from that figure. Light rays shone all around him i felt very protected and safe and loved the figure in the light told me through what i know now what i now know to be mental telepathy that i must go back that it hasn't that was not time for me to come here i wanted to stay because it felt so full of joy and so peaceful but the voice repeated that it wasn't my time i had a purpose to fulfill and i could come back after i completed it Robin goes on to say, the first time I told my parents about my experience was right after I began to talk. At the time, I believe that what happened to me was something everyone experienced. I told my mom and dad about the big glass case I was in after I was born and the figure in the light and and what he said to me. It took my reference to the glass case to mean the incubator. My father was a medical student at the time and he had read a book about near-death experiences. From comparing the information in the book with what I told them, they decided that's what I was describing. My mom told me all of this years later when I brought the subject up again. I began attending church at the age of five and I would look at the picture of Jesus in the Bible and tell my mom that's who it was in the light. I still have many physical difficulties with my health because of being premature, but there's a strong need inside me that I should help others with what death is and talk, ter- talk to terminally ill patients. I was in the other world and I know there's nothing to be afraid of after death well i hope that kirk is still listening uh kirk the father of uh Kenyon wilson who was uh taken too soon from him i hope that he's heard that story and that if he believes in an afterlife and if he believes that there is more out there um it might be comforting for him to know that that, that light is nothing but love and 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 maybe it was his he had fulfilled his purpose maybe it was his time even though it might not feel that way in the moment because uh you know it's too he's only 20 years old and there's so much more life to live but maybe this time around his he fulfilled his purpose um but again i hope that we can get kirk some closure uh the next story i have here is a uh, both from adults and children occasionally report being greeted on the other side by animals especially if favored Pets had previously died. But as the children who describe an animal heaven, some even insisting that they must go through it before they can reach the heaven where people are, adult cases can be equally compelling. Several years before his death, Bryce Bond, a famous New York City uh, media personality turned parapsychologist, parapsychologist, come on, man, parapsychologist. Shared with me the story of what happened to him when he once collapsed after a violent allergic reaction to pine nuts and was rushed to a hospital. He remembered suddenly passing through a long tunnel toward a brilliant light. And then, Bryce goes to say, I hear a bark. And racing towards me is a dog I once had. A black poodle named Pepe. When I see him, I feel an emotional floodgate open. Tears fill my eyes. He jumps into my arms, licking my face. As I hold him, he is real, more real than I had ever experienced him before. I could smell him, feel him, hear his breathing, and sense his great joy at being with me again. Bryce goes on to say, I put my dog on the ground and step forward to embrace my stepfather. When a very strong voice is heard in my consciousness, not yet, it says. I scream out, why? Then this inner voice says, what have you learned and whom have you helped? I'm dumbfounded. The voice seems to be from without as well as within. Everything stops for a moment. I have to think of what was asked of me. I cannot answer what I have learned, but I can answer whom I have helped. I feel the presence of my dog around me as I ponder those two questions. Then I hear barking, and other dogs appear, dogs I once had. As I stand there for what seems to be an eternity, I want to embrace and be absorbed and merge I want to stay. The sensation of not wanting to come back is overwhelming. Bryce was also greeted by all of his relatives who had passed on before him. He experienced these loved ones as somewhat younger in form and face than when he had last seen them. Healthier, happier. He remembered racing backward through the same tunnel he had entered. When it was time to leave, reviving in time to witness a hyperdermic needle being plunged into his arm. I heard a voice say, welcome back. I never asked who said that, nor did I care. I was told by the doctor that I had been dead for over 10 minutes. Wow. To feel that eternity, even though it's only 10 minutes here on earth, but to feel that, oh, that just sounds, that's just so compelling. I'm not, I'm not wishing myself to have a near death experience, but I, I just, I, I'm trying to put myself into this position. And to, for him to be able to speak about it and, and write about it, like it happened so vividly to him, and, and describing the feelings and the smells and the sounds and the the embrace, it's just super compelling stuff. I mean, I, I, if there's gonna be an, ever a moment where I have a near death experience, I, I just I want to be able to tell the story about it. I'm not asking somebody to kill me. I'm just saying, you know, I just want to be able to experience it. Seldom are suicide near death scenarios hell like. Contrary to popular notions, most suicide near-death experiences are positive, or at least illustrative of the importance of life and its living. Although I have yet to find a suicide experience that was in any way transcendent or in-depth, just to have something happen, anything that affirms that he or she is loved and special seems miracle enough for the one involved. Near-death survivors from suicide attempts can and often do return with the same sense of mission that any other experiencer of the phenomenon reports. And that mission is usually to tell other potential victims that suicide is not the answer. For example, this young man, he has to be not identified, refers to, uh, uh, since then, suicide has never crossed my mind as a way out. It's a cop-out to me and not the way to heaven. I wish you luck in your research and hope my experience will help stop someone from taking his own life. It is a terrible waste. Suicide near-death episodes can lay to rest problems and conflicts, explains away confusions and emphasize the need to remain embodied. Experiencers usually return with the feeling that suicide solves nothing, and they are notably renewed and refreshed by that feeling, using their near-death event as a source of courage, strength, and inspiration. But not all suicide ne- scenarios are positive. Some are negative. And these can be so negative that they upset the individual more than the original problem that preceded... precipitate... Pre- <laughs> precipitated the suicide. Sorry, that's not funny. I'm just trying to read and I can't say words like precipitated, precipitated, precipitated. That it. there's another one. I'm just going to add to my vocabulary so I can get a hang of it. Okay. Back to the seriousness, serious. This kind of devastation can be transforming if used as a catalyst to help the person make the kind of changes the come, prize constructive long-term solutions. Such changes can come from an inner awakening or from the fear that what was experienced may indeed herald the individual's final fate. If something is not done to turn things around, man, that was, uh, I mean, that's what you hope to come out of a a suicidal attempt that the people, uh, you know, fail that they come back and they they feel that they have to share their story and and encourage those that try to are thinking about committing suicide, that it's not the answer. And I agree. I don't think it's the answer. I feel like it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Uh, But these, you know, these negative experiences where they come back and they're even more troubled um, from the original problem that precipitated suicide. Uh, You know, it's kind of, it's nice knowing that some do come back and have a more positive experience. But when it comes to suicide, it, it's, it's such a sensitive subject that should be treated sensitively, sensitively sensitive. See, I'm, I'm messing up with all these words. This is all getting me clip. I'm getting all choked up because this stuff is emotional, you know? Um, so if, if anybody's out there that, that it's, that's looking for some help or just needs a hug, I I, I want to give it to you. I hope that you're getting through your tough times. I mean, it just breaks my heart knowing that there's people out there that are, that are going through that. And uh, I hope that it doesn't take a near death experience for you to turn it around. So you would think that there's some famous people that, that have gone through some near death experiences. One most notably uh, from this book was Ernest Hemingway. He's an example of the typical brief or initial near-death experience. During World War I, Hemingway was wounded by shrapnel while fighting on the banks of the river Piav near Fossalte, Italy. He convalesced in Milan. In a letter from there to his family, he made this cryptic statement. Dying is a very simple thing. I've looked at death, and really, I know. Years later, Hemingway explained to a friend... What had occurred on that fateful night in 1918? A big Austrian trench mortar bomb of the type that used to be called ash cans exploded in the darkness. I died then. I felt my soul or something come right out of my body like you'd pull a silk handkerchief out of a pocket by one corner. It flew around and then came back and went in again and I, was, I wasn't dead anymore. Hemingway remained deeply affected by this out-of-body initial near-death experience throughout his life and was never again as hard-boiled as he once had been. A Farewell to Arms contains a passage where the character Frederick Henry undergoes the same confrontation with death that Hemingway did. I ate the end of my piece of cheese and took a swallow of wine. Through the other noise, I heard a cough. Then came the cha-cha-cha-cha-cha, and there was a flash. As when a blast furnace door was swung open. And a roar that started white and went red and on and on in a rushing wind. I tried to breathe, but my breath would not come. And I felt myself rush bodily out of myself. And out and out and out. And all the time bodily in the wind. I went out swiftly, all of myself. And I knew I was dead. And that it had all been a mistake to think you'd just died. Then I floated, and instead of going on, I felt myself slide back. I breathed, and I was back one of those cases where you want to send an author and you get an author thanks anyway so next is a case of a haunting and of an experiencer assaulted by entities awaiting her arrival in the tunnel but there's more to the story of sandra h block of stanton virginia than first glance reveals proof that one cannot judge a near-death scenario solely by its description You must investigate before and after conditions in the person's life to reach any kind of meaningful context within which to consider the experience. Sandra says, I had a stomach stapling in 1980 and in the process had to have a deformed spleen removed. I hemorrhaged on the operating table and the doctor said that at three times he thought he was going to lose me. The first day after surgery, I had to have transfusions. During one of them, the transfusions, I started feeling really weird. I felt like if I shut my eyes, I would never open them again. I called the nurse. Of course, she said it was all in my head and left the room. I remember she just walked out the door and I started being pulled through a tunnel. It was a terrible experience because all I could see were people from my past, people who were already dead, who had done or said something to me that had hurt me in one way or another. They were laughing and screaming until I thought I could not stand it. I begged and begged that I'd be allowed to go back. I could see a light at the end of the tunnel, but I never really got too close to it. All of a sudden, I was back in my bed, just thankful I had not died. Brock, as it turns out, has had several near-death-type experiences scattered over a long life. Sandra goes on to say, My mother told me that when she found she was pregnant with me, she prayed that I would die. They were just coming out of the depression, and they already had a baby and could not afford another. When I was born, I was born with a hair lip. Mother thought that was her punishment for wanting me dead. Well, if you don't know what a hair lip is, it's like cleft lip. My mom had it, it and it was just a simple surgery where they, I mean, probably not at this time right after the depression, but you know, as, as time went on, it's such a simple procedure that not everybody's fortunate enough to get, you know, in, in, in impoverished nations and third world countries. Um, but in this case, you know, my mom just had her lip just kind of put back together. And I think there was some extra skin that was put in there to fill up that, that hair lip. Um, But it's very obvious and, you know, people got teased incessantly for having them. Um, And obviously this mom thought it was some sort of punishment for wanting her kid to be dead. Within several days and without any surgery, my hair lip healed itself. And to this day, I do not carry a scar. She also told me that when I was only a, a few weeks old, she came to my bassinet and found me not breathing. I had already turned purple. She grabbed me, shook me and blew me in my face until I started breathing again. I don't remember this experience, but I do remember being in a bassinet that had no liner. I remember studying my hands and what my hands looked like as an infant. My mother said I couldn't possibly remember this, but I did. And I was right. Until the age of four, Brock survived numerous nearly fatal accidents that caused cessation of breath. Her memory of each is detailed and verified by relatives, even though several occurred when she was only a toddler, right from her earliest years. She displayed the typical aftereffects of the near-death phenomenon, including stunningly accurate psychic abilities, extended perceptual range, and heightened faculties. She has been visited by the dead, advised of pending deaths, and has known the exact moment individuals died. Yet Brock has been haunted throughout her life, not just by the deceased who grabbed at her in death's tunnel. An overshadowing theme of, why would anyone want to harm me, seems to have permeated every aspect of her life's experiences. From her memory of frightening creatures crawling into her bed when she was young and making her scream and cry, to adult misunderstandings and distressing dreams, it's almost as if her mother's prayer that she die imprinted her brain in some manner. Brock's many brushes with death, even as an infant, were precipitated by acts of self-destructive behavior. That single overshadowing theme continued to undermine the satisfaction that her many accomplishments in life should have given her. This did not change until after her husband's suicide in 1983. At that time, according to Brock, her father and son, long since dead, and her recently deceased husband, physically and in broad daylight, drove up to her front door and in an old Cadillac, honked a horn and called out, we're together now and we're okay, we just wanted you to know. With that said, the group, car, and all disappeared. The ghostly spectacle gave Brock the reassurance she needed to finally free herself from the ghost of her own past. Her mother's death decree, which she had subconsciously been trying to both justify and nullify throughout her life, was finally put to rest from her husband's suicide, forced her to confront her own life's issues as she came to terms with his. In Brock's case, her near-death episode was but one in a long series of similar events that finally brought her to that point of peace within herself where true forgiveness and understanding reside. Really fascinating book. If you're you're into this stuff— uh, it's called Beyond the Light by Gina Prince by the Wood, and uh, you can find it on Amazon. That's that's where I found it, um, and it's just a lot of really compelling stories like that. And it's fascinating to me. And if anybody else in uh, the Prod Squad has had this, or somebody you know has had some sort of near death experience, I would love to hear about it, man. If you want to email me rad at radradio.com. That's uh, that's how you can get to me. Or you can go to the Rad Podcast group on the Facebook page. Just search for Rad Podcast. And uh, join the group. It's a closed group. Just click in there. Uh, and I'll accept you right away. Unless you're a jerk, I'll kick you out. I've had to kick out a couple people for being jerks. So uh, just know that I am looking out for you. And I want it to, to be a safe space there. Um, thank you, everybody, who wrote in. And again, the 100th episode is coming up in a couple of weeks. And I've got some really cool stuff planned. Um, and if there's any type of uh, guests you want to hear, you have any requests, shoot them in. Uh, if you want uh, any requests for apparel, shoot those in too. We're getting these ideas rolling. So I want the prod squad to be a part of this process as well. Uh, until next week, namaste, bitches. The rad.